of Hebrews. And so we're kind of coming to the end. Got some exciting series coming up, Holy Week, uh, series called My Daily Battle, which is going to be a direct gospel hit on some of uh, the everyday battles that, that you are facing. Uh, so some exciting things. We've got the Psalms coming up, songs, uh, songs of Ascent over the summer in a series called Lift Up My Eyes, uh, Lift Up Your Eyes, I believe it's called. And then in the fall, we may, we just may tackle the big daddy of them all, the book of Romans. So uh, I, we'll see about that. Um, and that may go on for a couple of decades, Romans. So uh, we may not need to do much sermon series planning for a while. Uh, but we're excited to kind of wrap up this book. It has been a, a very challenging book. And uh, I want to just quickly bring us to uh, the author's point uh, today. Uh, I think it's significant to do that because in the midst of 13 chapters, uh, 30 weeks, uh, Easter, Christmas, all these things, uh, it's easy uh, to, to lose sight of the purpose of Hebrews, okay? So today, uh, let's be reminded of what this letter, this sermon really, this prolonged exhortation has really been about. The author wants to encourage the Christians to endure, to not quit, to not give up. In the face of uh, pressure uh, all around them to walk away from the Jesus they have believed in, to return to Judaism, to go back to what they knew, what was safe, what was comfortable and accepted in many ways by their heritage and maybe even their families, their closest relationships, okay? So they are feeling pressure in their context and even in their culture, their Roman culture, to quit, to walk away from Jesus. And as we talked about, we live in a day and age where we have that same daily, constant pressure in the world in which we live. Do we not? We have believed in Christ. We have embraced Him. Some of you here maybe not so sure yet. Maybe you're, you're still trying to figure out Jesus. But for many of you, you have embraced Christ. You've trusted in Christ. You've heard the gospel of Christ. And now you're living in a world which is competing uh, with its teaching, with its, with its noise. Uh, there are situations and relationships and difficulties that you face every single day that are pulling you away from that commitment to Christ. And so, remember, the call of this book is that we would not walk away from Jesus. That we would stay firm in our commitment and in our faith with, uh, in Him. Okay? So, now, what's significant to just recognize is that this is important for every one of us because it's easy to be weakened in the faith, right? Uh, situations, challenges we're facing, maybe a, a friend or, or, or a relationship that is maybe uh, uh, giving us a different perspective that would be contrary to Christ, uh, maybe just whatever the case may be, uh, our faith can get easily weakened. And what we need today is reinforcement. That's what this book has been about reinforcement. Their faith is weak and it needs to be strengthened 
so that it can endure. And it's possible that some of you here this morning are wrestling with this very situation. Your faith is weak. Life has stripped you of strength. And you're really struggling. Maybe you find yourself in a place of spiritual weakness this morning. And and doubt is creeping in. Well, today, in final, last wordy kind of way, in this last chapter, that's what we get. Final words, final reinforcement, final encouragement, final instruction regarding how and why we must endure. Okay? So let's turn to Hebrews 13. We're going to read verse 17, I'm sorry, verse 7 through 19. Hebrews 13, 7 through 19. Please follow along with me. The author says this, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. Verse 10, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So, Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through His own blood. Therefore, let us go to Him outside the camp and bear the reproach He endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through Him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. This is God's Word, and all God's people said, Amen. Now, a lot of you begin to chuckle when I start to talk about the books that I'm reading, because most of you know that once I get to chapter 4, it's pretty much the end of the book for me. Uh, Yeah, uh, you know, it is what it is. But I actually picked up a book, yes I did, 
this winter uh, called uh, The Greatest Generation by Tom Brokaw. Raise your hand if you've heard of that book, The Greatest Generation. Now, I don't want to embarrass my grandparents in any way, shape, or form, but I'm going to have to, I guess. Now, my grandparents grew up in this great generation that Tom Brokaw is talking about. And I'm just going to confess one of the reasons that I picked up the book was because there's something about the way that they think and the way that they look at the world and the way that they've acted throughout their years that is very admirable to me. Right? I look back on what they have endured and what they've seen and the way in which they've approached it and their perspective on life. And while I completely, as they was, what do you think? What do you th-? I have a completely different worldview based on a completely different set of circumstances in many ways. Uh, I didn't endure the world wars that they did. I didn't see uh, the Great Depression or at least near the Great Depression. I didn't go through all of that. And so I live on the other side of it in the midst of abundance and affluence and the prosperity of America. Like, we live uh, based on, in many ways, what that generation built. And so it was helpful for me to pick up this book and to get perspective on a past generation of people who exhibited a kind of character that I found to be admirable. And in the midst of the challenges that we face today, it was encouraging for me to read that and say, yeah, this is the kind of outlook, this is the kind of perspective that I need to have when I think about the challenges that we face in 2017. I think that that's how the kind of, uh, that's what we can do to gain a kind of perspective on how we're doing in our relationship with God just, to, just as well. Right? There's something about thinking back, something about looking back at our former uh, uh, leaders, thinking back in the day, going a little old school in our mind, right? Back with the red hymnals stuck in the back of the chairs and the different songs. It's just a different kind of day. But a day that was so meaningful to us. Some of you are thinking even now, old school, back into your spiritual past, your pilgrimage, and you're remembering how you came to Jesus Christ, how you came to saving faith. And that's basically what the author of Hebrews is bringing us to in the opening verses here. He's saying, remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. He's saying as you're, as you're weakened in heart, in the midst of today, look back into the past. This will be a source of strength for you to think about the people that led you to Jesus. To think about the people that pointed and guided the way to the source of a, of a grace that strengthens the heart. Right? Remember your leaders, those who spoke the word of God to you. I love that statement, remember your leaders. One of the reasons that this is, that gives us strength is because they were our leaders. It was very personal, wasn't it? Right? That leaders have a personal connection with the people that they lead. Remember your leaders. What about uh, consider the outcome of their way of life? Another reason that this strengthens us is because they had a Christ-like example, right? They, they were exemplary. You look back on the, the leaders that you've had, and you remember that they 
exemplified a kind of Christ-like character that you would notice and observe. But then you see this. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. That leadership in your past is connected to the ministry of the Word of God. That those who led you to heart-strengthening grace are the... (laughs) Good job, Paul. We love you. He spilled his coffee. I couldn't help. Anyway. (laughs) Everyone clap for Paul because every one of you have spilled your coffee in here already. Anyway. Sorry, Paul. That was just funny. (laughs) My heart feels strengthened for sure now. Right? That, That the Word of God, that the ministry of the Word, the truth of the Word of God is really the primary way that you were led by people. Their personal connection. Their Christ-like example. And their preaching. Their teaching. Their ministry of the Word of God. If you're feeling weak in your faith, this is what you need to do. Remember. Look back. Think about that generation that preceded you. That taught you the Word of God. But not just past leaders, right? He goes on in verse 17 to talk about current leaders. Obey your leaders, submit to them, for they're keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account, and let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, leadership uh, led you there through spiritual oversight. They watched over you, and your leaders now are watching over you. We're at the end of a long week where I had such a privilege to watch Jeremy and Tim this week, your leaders, uh, serve you so well. Really, uh, we had a meeting here uh, Monday night, about three hours. Uh, we've kind of changed our, the structure of our elder meeting to be longer and less frequent. And to spend time with them and to pray and to think about what, uh, really, your spiritual care was a privilege. And then uh, Thursday night to, to gather with them, with many of you, to pray, a prayer meeting. And then Friday night, we met with a number of other pastors uh, in a different geography, actually, that are just seeking friendship and prayer about how to partner to reach every man, woman, and child in this county. Churches, in many ways, that you would never expect to give you a call, like, let's do this. It was just exciting to be with these men the whole week because their lives are really oriented to take responsibility for the flock of God, the mission of God. And and that's really what leadership is about. It's about taking responsibility for the lives and the spiritual uh, 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 health of people as it relates to what God wants to do in the world. And so looking at leaders, remembering past leaders, considering and, and submitting to current leaders is a pathway to spiritual strength. Strength, that's why it's there. It's a grace given to the church for the building up of the body of Christ. And so in its final exhortation, in many ways, the author of Hebrews is saying, listen, I'm coming to an end with all the words that I have to say to you. This letter is coming to a close. But you still need the Word. You still need the presence of encouragement. You still need the truth about Jesus. And so the author is saying, for you to endure, remember your leaders. 
Those who spoke the word of God to you. Obey your current leaders. Submit and respect your current leaders. Those who are watching over you. This will sustain you as the ministry of the word is declared and exemplified in your midst. You know, we live in an anti-submission, anti-authority, almost ungrateful age where we don't really think about and remember and reflect upon these things. And I think that that weakens us. It weakens us. And what the author of Hebrews is saying is that we are to look back to our leaders. That's my encouragement to you today. Maybe begin to think this week. Maybe set aside a little bit of time as you think about the state of your heart, its strength and or weakness. And say, can I remember those who spoke the word of God to me? Who would that person be? Who would those individuals be? My heart was strengthened this week as I thought back on my first pastor, Paul Wagner at Believer's Chapel, who, who spoke the word of God to me. In the midst of uh, 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 hundreds of people, right? I felt like he, was the, he and I were the only people in the room. That he was looking me in the eye and he was preaching and teaching about the, the wonder and beauty and glory of Jesus and his love for lost people. His love for people who did not know Jesus, who did not have a saving knowledge of Him. And He gave that to me. And I think about my next pastor, Pastor Bill Anthes, and his piety. right? And he preached and teached the Word of God to me. That's what he did. But it was, it was in his way, according to his giftedness, in his holiness, in his love for God, in his desire to just spend time with Him. I mean, that really imparted to me the nature of, uh, of, of saving faith, of, 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 the, of a heart that, that, that was strengthened. That's what Bill Anthes did. He taught me the Word of God, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I think about Mark Coleman uh, when I was in seminary. His love for the people of God. He preached and teached the Word of God to me. And he exemplified the compassion of Jesus to people that are in need. See, those are just quick examples in my life that, that immediately strengthened me. I'm not going to walk away from Jesus. I'm not going to abandon the faith that I've embraced. I'm not going to do that because if I think back on the people that have led me there and how they led me there, it gives me strength. Who's that person for you? Remember, your leaders. Faithful leaders, they guide us to the source of heart-strengthening grace. Right? The, why is this important? Because, again, we live in a world where there are strange teachings. There's a different message out there. We live in the midst of difficult circumstances. There's intense pressure out there to not trust in Jesus, to not stay faithful to the Word of God. And what he's saying is this. He's saying, don't be led away by that. The word is like carried away like a river. right? We can feel like that. That, that the, the world in which we live is like a, a raging river that would pull us away from the truth and the grace that is found in Jesus. He's saying, don't be carried away by that. He said, well, how would I be carried away by that? By false teaching. 
Don't be led away by diverse, strange teachings. For it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. You see, there's a world out there, there's religion out there, that wants to sell you a bill of goods, that there's another way to know God. That there's another way to be saved. That there's another way to have peace in your heart and to have acceptance from God. To give you the life that you long for, maybe another way to put it. There's such competing noise out there in society that wants to carry us away. They say, if you do this, if you believe in that, you'll be strengthened. Right? All the difficulty of life will be removed. This will be good for you. Right? Try this. Man, it's like, isn't that Facebook? Right? Everyone's got a post about try this. This is better. Check this out. Right? Like this. We're getting competing messages all over the place. And what he's saying is this. Don't be carried away by that. You talk about a good metaphor for Facebook time. Don't be carried away by strange teachings. Don't lose your focus on the truth. Don't forget what your teachers taught you when they led you to the source of heart-strengthening grace. He says it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. And what is that? Well, verse 8, first of all, tells us Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That might be a verse that you've memorized in your past. I don't know. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This seems like just thrown in there. What does this have to do with anything? Listen. There are new ideas about uh, life and eternity and what uh, is good for you all the time. There are circumstances that come and go, right? But here's the thing that we can find strength in no matter what we're facing. That Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His enduring nature is that which gives us the motivation to endure. Why would we change our faith in the one that never changes? Right? He endures. Peter O'Brien says this, as they would read this, this is what was being conveyed. Their circumstances and perspective may change. Life, up and down. Circumstances, right? That may change. But Jesus Christ and His Gospel do not change. Amen? Christ's help, grace, and power are permanently at people's disposal. He never needs to be replaced. And nothing can be added to His perfect work. See, it's His unchanging nature that gives us motive to endure. The answer to any question, how will the heart be strengthened, is always going to be answered biblically in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. That's the only answer that we at Renovation Church have for any of you. When you have a question, it is the Sunday school answer. 
Jesus. Jesus is the answer to every question that we have in our hearts. He is the source of spiritual strength for those who are weak. There's no other well to withdraw from but Jesus. That always has been the case. That always is and it will always be. This is our answer to that. And if you think about it, that's what leadership is trying to tell you, right? That's what faithful leadership does. It doesn't point to itself. Faithful leadership points to Jesus, His enduring nature. Hey, pastors, leaders, they come and go. And the only reason we're here is to point you to the sole source of sustaining grace. That's Jesus. That's what it is. That's the truth of God. That's why He wants you to remember your former leaders. Why? Because they helped you remember Jesus. That's why He wants you to submit to your current leaders. Because we pray and we strive for here at Renovation. They're just pointing you to Jesus. you got to go to Jesus. Their oversight in your life is just, hey, let me look over you and make sure that you're trusting in Jesus. That you're going to Jesus. That you're receiving from Jesus. That there's nothing else that is competing for your adoration and your attention. It's always about Jesus. That's why he's pointing you to your past leaders. Don't be led away by diverse and strange teachings. Right? There's always a new idea, a new perspective. Hey, this is what the Trinity really is like. We have the Scriptures rooted in ancient writings, a covenant that goes so far back, a promise that is rooted in history long ago. We don't need something new. We have something eternally old. Amen? Christ! We don't have a new message at renovation. We have the same message. Jesus. And, that, and if it ever changes, walk out. Find another place. If we have any other answer for you other than the saving work of Jesus that is the sole source of heart-strengthening grace, go somewhere else. Find another place to worship. Submit yourself to other leaders because if you don't, Stay there, your heart will be weakened. I'm taking a deep breath. And so he goes on to say it's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. Not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. And he goes into his main section, verses 10 through 16, which is really difficult to wrestle with 2017 Christian if you're not understanding the background of what's going on. Remember, Hebrews is talking to Jewish Christians. A lot of discussion on the old covenant, the old Levitical sacrificial system, the priesthood, the blood, the sacrifices, the old covenant, okay? So that's what he's talking about here. He says, we have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. And so this 
context really brings us back to Leviticus 16. Maybe some of you want to go there this week to just do some further reflection. Write that down, Leviticus 16. Talking about the Day of Atonement. That day where, year after year, sacrifice was given on behalf of the people by the high priest. Blood was shed, a substitute sacrifice for sin. Year after year. Remember, Hebrews has been talking about that. Year after year, the same sacrifices that could never take away sins. So in this Day of Atonement ritual, what would happen is the remains, the body would be brought outside of the camp and it would be burned. Right. So that's what he's referring to. But then he's drawing a contrast and a similarity. He says, verse 12, So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. So what he's saying is this, that Jesus is a priest, better one, that is offering his own body and his own blood, right, in his death. He is going to his own altar, that is the cross, right? We have an altar, he says, that those who serve in the tent have no right to eat. There's another altar, but it's outside the camp. And we understand that this is an allusion to the cross of Jesus where Jesus was brought outside of the city and crucified at the hill of Golgotha. Right? Cast aside, shamed, considered a a felon, a criminal, executed, rejected by men. So he's saying that the priest would bring these offerings year after year in the hopes of being accepted, in the hopes of pleasing God, in the hopes of being sanctified and purified so that they could have a relationship with God. But Hebrews has already told us that this didn't work. But what's amazing is the the idea that Jesus, who on the altar of the cross brought outside of the city in His perfect offering, giving His blood is the thing that sanctified the people, right? What, what, when they intended to shame Jesus, he actually brought acceptance for those who have faith and trust in him. So what we see is Jesus has suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. The only hope for having a relationship with God and to be accepted and pure and holy in His sight is through Jesus Christ. This has been the argument all throughout Hebrews. All throughout Hebrews. He is the only acceptable sacrifice that has set us free from sin. It is only His blood that atones. And the wonderful promise is is that when you embrace that and you believe in that, that you are indeed pure. You are sanctified. You are set free. This is the gospel of Jesus. That's what strengthens us. His sacrifice. And I think often, many times, we have such a superficial understanding of His sacrifice. We say it, and it's true, that Jesus died for me. Amen? Jesus died for me. 
But that often is the, the end of the depth of our understanding of what Jesus has accomplished on that cross. And I think the more that we go there, the more that we reflect on that, I think it's appropriate as we're approaching Holy Week, right? Good Friday service. Don't miss it. Why? It's good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. What is the source of grace that strengthens the heart? The sacrifice of Jesus on your behalf for your sins. John Piper has a book, 50 Reasons Why Jesus Died. I highly recommend that to you. Because again, I think we have a superficial understanding of what Jesus has accomplished for us. And I'm saying the strength of your heart is connected to the depth of your knowledge and understanding and meditation and trust in the sacrificial work of Jesus in your place for your sins. You cannot think too much about the cross of Jesus. We preach not enough about the cross of Jesus. We need to think more about the cross of Jesus. We need to meditate scriptures about the cross of Jesus. If you're weak in your faith today, I wonder about how much you're thinking and meditating upon and worshiping God for the cross of Jesus. He says, because of the effectiveness of this sacrifice, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured, verse 13. I think what he's saying there to these readers is, look, you're feeling the pressure to run back to social norms. Right? In embracing Jesus, you've been rejected by people. And some of you have felt that even in your own life, right? You've been rejected by people. You've been cast aside. You've been marginalized and ostracized. You've been not called to go hang out because of your faith in Jesus. Because there's something about that where people look at us and they, they see it as, as a shameful thing, an offensive thing. They're not interested in that. And that's what he's saying. He's saying this, that we're to go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach that he endured. See, Jesus was rejected by the world. And to place our faith and hope in him is in some ways a, a, a welcoming of worldly rejection. He goes on to say, we have a city, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Man, that's tough for us to hear in a, in a world where there's so much promise to us in technological innovation and just American prosperity. You see, we're the kind of people that we want this world and all that it offers, and yet we're struggling to, to secure and, and enjoy the, the promises and blessings of Christ that are eternal, that are not of this world. And so we as American Christians struggle. We're living in the balance of this desire to be accepted by men and to be affluent in this world and at the same time to hold dear and tight to the, the work and the sacrifice and the blessings and the salvation that come from Jesus Christ. But the truth is we can't have it all. 
And they're feeling this pressure, this tension. And so he's saying, because of this effective nature of what Jesus has done, because his death alone is what gained God's acceptance, be ready and willing to endure earthly rejection. Right? You following me? This is a difficult passage to follow. I'll be the first one to admit it. But I think what he's trying to do there is say, while you're feeling the pressure to go back and, 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 and have it be alleviated from all this tension and persecution, endure. Listen, we have a city that is to come. We don't have a city here. We've got nothing here. And then he says, um, he says, uh, bear the reproach he endured. That is, expect to be rejected by men. That's a hard one for many of us, isn't it? We want the acceptance of men. Tim Keller has his four core idols that he talks about. One of them is approval, acceptance. When we lose that, we feel like we've lost life. Right? He's saying, but actually when we have it, the rejection of men because we have the acceptance of God, he's saying we actually have life. We have hope. Right? Jesus' sacrifice is the source of sustaining grace. We have to go to Him. We have to leave this world behind. And last, He says, we respond to His sacrifice with our own. And I'll end with this. We respond to His sacrifice with our own. Right? Look at what he says, that word. Through him then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. What he's saying here is that when you endure, when in the face of hostility and persecution and rejection, when the world says, you're nuts. He says, when you endure that and you continue to praise God with your lips, when you publicly acknowledge the sufficiency and the, and the deity and the unchanging nature of Jesus Christ, when you publicly stand before men and say, I worship Jesus. And by the way, that's what we're doing here this morning. We're in the midst of North Syracuse, in the midst of Onondaga County. Guess what we're doing here? We're publicly saying, I trust in Jesus. I believe in Him. He is the only way to be saved. He is the only way to have acceptance from God. When we worship God here, we are offering up to Him a sacrifice of praise that is pleasing unto Him. It pleases God when we stand before a hostile world and we say, I believe in Jesus. That's a significant thing today. Right In our mission, in our evangelism, it's easy for us to say, ah, I don't want to upset anybody, I don't want to offend anybody, I don't want to step on any toes, I just want to live my life and you know, just be nice. But what he's saying here is that when we step out in faith 
And when we live our lives of worship, and then we explain it and we testify that this is all because I believe in Jesus. It's all because of His sacrifice for me. That we're worshiping God. And we're literally offering unto Him a sacrifice of praise. Not a sacrifice that obtains for us forgiveness of sin. Jesus did that, amen? We don't have to atone for our sins. No, a sacrifice that is given to God because we've been forgiven of our sins. That the worship of Jesus, going to the altar, giving His blood, laying down His life for us, leads to us to be worshiping with our lips and with our confession. But not just that. Do not neglect to do good and to share with what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. You see, our lives, the way we live, the way we treat all that we have, right? It's worship. Our mission here is to glorify God by equipping all of Christ's people to what? Live faithful lives of worship. Worship is life. Uh, to be clear, this is worship, what we're doing. This is corporate worship. This pleases the Lord when His people gather to worship. When we celebrate the fact that Jesus' sacrifice is the only source of heart-strengthening grace. When we get together and we sing of Him and we declare Him and we stand and we praise and we raise our hands and we stand together and we pray and we listen, this pleases the Lord. But understand this, our understanding of worship must be bigger than that. It's not just Sunday mornings, 10 to 11.30. Worship is life and how we relate to other people. Some of you have weak hearts that have translated into weak uh, uh, love for other people. You find yourself less time for other people, less concern, less consideration. More money is being devoted to what you want. Less is available to the needs of others, the ministry of the church. Your priorities are all the more self-centered. That's what happens when a heart is weak and starting to doubt and struggling to, to trust in Jesus. The outcome of that is we begin to lose a sense of care and compassion for the needs of others. He's saying this, continue to do that. Endure in that. Do what is good. Share from what you have. Talk about practical application. If Christ has done everything, if Christ has given us everything, if there's nothing more to be had other than Christ, then guess what? If He's given us a city that we await someday, guess what? If we don't have a city here, we can literally lay down everything that we have in this life for His glory and for the good of other people. That's the outcome of of the way of life that I think he's talking about in the opening verses. Remember your leaders. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Imitate their faith. What does that look like? They did good to others. They shared from what they had. They taught to you the word of God. So proclaim the name of Jesus. Share what you have with those who need it. Live your life with an open hand. You say, I have everything that I need in Jesus Christ. Matter of fact, all that I have is being stored up in heaven. 
I'm going to be just fine throughout all eternity. And because of that, I can let go of all that this world would offer me. That's the outcome of our way of life. Laying everything down for God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Don't give up on Jesus. Endure. Endure. Continue to trust in Jesus. Why? He's greater. It's the name of this series. Jesus is greater. There's no better person to go to. There's no more effective sacrifice. There's no greater priest. There's no more effective blood. Go to Jesus. Stay with Jesus. Live your life in response to Jesus. That's all that this guy is trying to say. And that's what the ministry of this church wants to encourage you to do each and every week. See Jesus for who he is. Worship him for who he is. And live your life in a response to the sacrifice of Jesus. It's all about Jesus. So can we do that? Let's remember our leaders. Let's think back. Let's look at Christ, all that he has accomplished for us. Let's not give up. Do not grow. What's that other admonition? Do not grow weary in doing, in what, doing what is good. And the reason for that kind of calling is always because of what Christ is and what he has done. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen? He never changes. There's no new conviction that you need. You have Jesus. Don't change your conviction and your trust in Jesus. Don't give up on him. Continue to run to him in his perfect and effective sacrifice on your behalf. And guess what? The wonderful promise is this. Your heart will be strengthened. Your heart will be strengthened. It won't be strengthened by what the world gives you. It will only be strengthened by Jesus. Let's praise him. Amen? Jesus' sacrifice is the source of heart-strengthening grace. Let's pray. Father, every week I stand up here to preach. I'm just struck by the glory of your word, the wonder of the good news of Jesus, the shock that I don't get it, like I don't see it in my own eyes. I, I struggle to appropriate it, to embrace it, to make it a part of my life. And really, it's because I can't. It's, it's only the Spirit that can do this. And I, I just pray that the Spirit would be at work in the lives of every person in this room. Open their eyes to see Jesus. Strengthen their heart with grace. Give them hope for an eternal city. Quicken within them an ability to let go of this world. To reject the falsehood that they hear every single day. Give them joy as they worship you with their words and by laying down every possession that they have all for your glory. 
Would Jesus be our greatest treasure at renovation? Spirit, would you do this in us? Sermons just point people ever so inadequately to you. Jesus, be our source. Spirit of God, fall afresh on these people here. Protect them, keep them, save them, sanctify them. Be pleased with their worship, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and continue our worship.